Welcome to the Faithful Fathering Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, again, this is Rick Wirtz, founder and president of Faithful Fathering, where the mission is to encourage and equip dads to be faithful fathers. Dads prioritize physical presence, are engaged emotionally, and lead spiritually by example. That's reflecting the triune nature of our, of our God to uh, be his representative in the home. Uh, we're continuing the discussion uh, in this podcast series uh, around why faithful fathering is important. Uh, we are here to help you be the dad the next generation needs. Uh, and so we want to uh, put you in contact with us. You can uh, go through our website at faithfulfathering.org and click on the For Dads button to access some uh, vlogs, other vlogs, and uh, training materials that could be of help to you. And of course, as always, this podcast is a very practical discussion that I pray blesses you on your journey as a faithful father. Uh, in this studio with me today is uh, on why faithful fathering is a very special guest, uh, Julius Cairo. He's a husband and father and uh, has been heavily involved with the foster care system. We've had a couple of previous discussions around uh, the foster care, kind of a broad brush of the foster care system itself, and then how involved you've been with foster care. Uh, uh, Julius, tell us a little bit more about how uh, you've moved into adoption as an option in, uh, in the foster care system. Yeah, so we've so we've each child that we've had come into our home um, have been a foster to adopt situation, which means that they come into our home as a foster placement, um, and then either they either come in with no parent involvement and are legally ready to be adopted. At, at, at you have to have you have to have each child in your home for at least six months um, before they are legally able to be adopted. Um, but then there's also other ends where um, parents' rights may need to be, have to be terminated. There may have to be, they're still working through the case um, in itself to see what the ultimate placement's going to be for the child. Um, and so um, we've fostered 29 at this point, and we've been able to adopt four um, because they've legally become eligible for adoption. Earlier, I think, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but you said there's approximately 400,000 kids in the foster care system nationwide. and I yes, think sir. you said that 117,000 are available for adoption, meaning that there's 300,000 kids out there that are just really in temporary care for foster care. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, sir. So, yeah, there's 117,000 legally free ready for adoption as of today Okay. based on the numbers that I was able to, to look. Um, and there's four, like 412,000 in the United States currently um, in the foster, in care, the foster care system. Okay. I yes, see. sir. I see. Well, you know, I, I think in the uh, in the aftermath of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, uh, and I, I don't know how it involved you know, early on before you got involved with foster care, uh, foster care, that uh, the uh, saying, uh, the crisis pregnancy centers always would. Uh, it seemed like they always had kind of a three-step system. One, they they'd validate that the pregnancy was was there, then they verified that it's viable. Then they all always uh, discussed adoption as an option. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, do you see that as uh, being on the upswing? Uh, do you, uh, you know, whether it's foster care or whether it's other, uh, otherwise, how do you see that affecting that whole adoptive world? So I think, I mean, long term, I think unless the church steps up or, or we have more people involved in the foster care system, we're going to have an, a greater increase. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned is great as far as, you know, being pro-life and pro-biblical, you know, mandates and, and what the Bible says that we should do and what, what should be happening. That's great. But at the same time, we already have a deficit. 
we already have, like I said, 400,000 plus kids in the foster care system without, you know, some have places to go. Um, I mean, if you can, you can even narrow it down even locally in Harris County. Um, I think the reported numbers for June was uh, 5,200 kids in Harris County uh, in the foster care system with 562 of those kids being able to be adopted. So there's 562 kids currently waiting to be adopted just in Harris County. And wrong, wrong-minded wrong thinking would say that that's why we want to keep abortion legal, right? That, yes. And I, I do want to use this as a time to clarify, uh, be very specific, that Roe v. Wade did not uh, overturn the right to abortion or that abortion is legal or illegal. It just uh, cleared it up as being a, a law of the land inappropriately established by the Supreme Court 50 years ago. So now it goes back to the states for debate, and mm-hmm. if they can sell it to be uh, uh, legislatively um, implemented in the state legislatures, then that would be there. And, uh, it, and uh, as you know, there are uh, some that think that, well, as long as it's uh, before six weeks or 13 weeks or whatever the magic number is, that that would be uh, okay. Of course, as a Christian, we know it's from conception on. But what I'm hearing you say is that the, the need is already uh, exceeding demand to some degree as far as adoptive kids being out there. And if we're going to be the body of Christ, that we need to see the church and families step up. What, what's your charge or, or what's your encouragement for churches that uh, are awakening to this need? What do they need to do to raise the bar for, uh, for being a an advocate for uh, establishing adoption as a viable option? Well, I think the church has to to first get educated itself. They have to know what's what's going on around them, what's what's needed, and, mm-hmm. and what the reality of the situation is. I mean, they, and as far as numbers go, I mean, if one family out of every four churches in the United States would adopt one child, we wouldn't have, and that's not, I don't even think that's just, that's not just the United States. That's worldwide one out of every four churches would adopt one kid we wouldn't have an orphan care crisis so with that being said like the church educating itself on what's going on and what's what needs to happen um that's that's key we have to want to get educated we have to want to know what's going on we have to realize that you know there's a way to to end this crisis. There's a way, I mean, in James 127, I mean, God made it very clear that the orphan and widows are very important to him. Um, and with that, with that being said, like we are on the front lines and have to be in the front lines to be able to, to fix this issue. So to, to the rally cries for churches to stand in the gap and help them realize that we're not talking it's not really a huge gap if we all take a step forward, right? And that, that, that's what I'm hearing you, you say. So uh, with that, what are, what are some of the key challenges that, uh, uh, that these uh, adoptive parents might face from your experience? I mean, I think, again, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I think a lot of people think that adoption is expensive. Um, I believe for all four of our kids that we've adopted, I think we may have spent $2,000 for all four of them. Mm-hmm. And that's $500 paperwork fees. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't cost much to adopt children from foster care. Um, a lot of times when we think adoption, we think private adoption or we think international adoption, which can get very costly because of the legality and the fees and 
you know, the transporting and, and going back and forth and all of these things that you have to do. Um, but we have kids, like I said, I mean, just in Harris County, we have 562 kids that are ready to be adopted. Um, and like I said, with my four kids, we've spent about $500 each. Mm. And I'm talking about just in the court fees. Um, you know, that's not throughout the years of having them, but you know, as far as you know, legal you legal legal, legal fees that make them adopted, it it was about five hundred dollars. And okay. I think the misconception is is oh, well, adoption's expensive. It's not. So uh, when you look at that, okay, that uh, it, maybe it's an awareness issue. Uh, would you would you let's just use your church as an example? Do you know is is your church actively involved in say an advocacy group? Our our church is actively involved in the foster care system. Um, we actually, I think the second week I was at Risen Nation, we be, me and my wife became the orphan care pastors at our church, um, which is Oh, you helped, got volunteered. Which, which is, no, we volunteered. I actually requested the position because God, God put it on my heart a long time ago, and so that was one of the reasons why we found Risen Nation um, was because uh, Pastor Matt was involved with the, with the foster care system. Um, but lo and behold, God put us together not only to just be involved, but to completely try to empty the system and revolutionize what, what's foster care. Um, since we've been at Risen Nation, um, we currently have eight active foster families and three other adoptive families. So we have 11 families that are currently or have been recently. And then as a church, our church has been the primary source for Kingdom Care as far as volunteer base, as far as service projects. Um, our Risen Nation men's group do a lot of our service. Um, they've mowed lawns, they've cut trees, they've built fences, they've replaced fire extinguishers and fire alarms. Like they've, they've actively helped um, build Kingdom Care to what it is today as far as um, being able to help support foster and adoption. Well, what a blessing you are to your church and your church to uh, the foster care system and to kingdom care. That's a. Uh, what about uh, challenges that uh, that uh, that face the adopt the adoptees themselves? What what do you see as uh, some of those things that uh, as as kids come into your home? What are some some of the voids that you uh, see or that uh, need to be addressed? Um, so I mean, I think the biggest challenge. I mean, obviously for any child in foster care is is closure you know because they have they always have this tie to a biological mother or biological father or whoever they you know ultimately were removed from um and so there's always that connection so i think like in our kids just in our home um but we preach breathe and, and talk about adoption always we don't hide it from our kids our kids know even the ones that we've had since they were babies they know that they're adopted. They know that, you know, God gave them to us this way. And we always talk about that. And, you know, we always get that question. Don't you want to have your own kids? Don't you want to have your own kids? And our response and has always been and, and how we've always felt is, is these are my kids. God gave them to me just like he would have gave you your biological son or daughter. He put them here. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't make that call. He ultimately gave them to us. Mm -hmm. And so with that being said, um, I mean, we talk about it and we make it very aware to them, like what adoption is, you know, what, what God did for us as, mm -hmm. as followers, you know, and, and adopting us, mm -hmm. you know, and, and speaking out for us. And so 
I think having those conversations and, you know, again, in the church, it being commonplace to talk about foster care and adoption mm-hmm. and what that looks like and it becoming more of a natural occurrence than just the one-offs here or the one-offs mm-hmm. there that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, where kids struggle often and in, in being adopted is, is we're different. Mm-hmm. That's one more, one more, you know, box to check that, that makes us different or makes us, you know, stand away from, from others. Um, but, but having that place of, you know, this is, this is normal or this is okay and this is accepted and this is, you know, special, you know, having that kind of mentality in the church, which is something that we've, you know, tried to foster in resignation and, and they have taken it to heart of, hey, these kids that are coming in or, or and, and, you know, that's not just the foster and adoptive community. That's anybody that walks through the doors is we're going to love on them, mm-hmm. their family. And as long as they're here, they're going to be treated like family and loved on and respected. And I think as long as we have that, we can we can combat that that adopt we're adopted mentality of you know we're different and so it's not right. But um, that's what we're starting to see now as our kids are getting older. Is that you know why is this? Why is that? Why why does our family look different? Which is that, something that's what I was going to ask. Is I know is, I know <clears throat> it seems the one of the things that always comes up with an adoptee is they realize uh, there's no genetic mirroring. You know, when you, they look at you, they don't see themselves. That's assuming you're even the same culture. You know, if you're a different culture, it gets there's another another level of unfamiliarity as far as genetic mirroring goes. How how is that uh, handled? So our family, we, we, we make a joke and we laugh. We're one baby away from the United Nations. Like, if, if I had an Asian baby, I would have the complete gambit. Um, my daughter, Brielle, who's four, is African-American. Um, I, myself, am African-American, Caucasian. My wife is Caucasian. Uh, my two oldest kids are uh, Hispanic. And then my middle daughter is uh, African American Caucasian mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have we have the whole gambit. None of us really look. And that's uh, that's America. Isn't it? <laughs> none of none of us really look alike. Um, but you know, like I said, fostering in our kids is is, is we're family. Mm-hmm. And you know, seeing them like I mean, my kids now, you know, when they see kids, and sometimes we have to stop them because they see a kid, you know, upset or something, and they're like, "Are they coming home with us?" And we're like, "No, no, no. Like that's not what that's about." Like. You know, and, and, you know, or, you know, but, but that's the, the heart of it is, is they want to help people. They see mm-hmm. everybody as family. They see people as, you know, as God originally designed us to be is, you know, the Imago Dei. We're all made in the image of God. And so we all have that, you know, that um, just that itself makes us special and makes us important. And God gave us a purpose. And so looking at people in that, in that respect, you know, would would ultimately in a lot of ways save save and, and help a lot of different things, you know, mm-hmm. the racial tension and a lot of other things that we have nowadays. Concept, right? Yeah. You know, so. Uh, that, uh, the, um, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, adoption. Uh, I know there's open adoption, there's closed adoption, mm-hmm. there's semi-open adoptions. Uh, do you have, are all of yours open adoption? Uh, that you're uh, So to- all of ours were closed adoptions. Like I said, they were all done through foster care, so. Um, all of the parental rights were terminated. So, yeah, um, explain what closed adoption means. Um, it just means that our kids don't have any contact with their biological parents. Right. Um, okay. So they don't have contact with their biological family. Mm-hmm. Um, by court order. By court order. And, and through yes. the adoption process. Yes. Because not, it not because dangerous necessarily, made it an unhealthy situation. Yes. And, and so a lot of times, too, um, like our two, our two youngest daughters, they were both – 
um, placed with us at five months old. So parental rights were terminated for whatever reason or they were given to CPS um, as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things in their files that are what's considered redacted or information not given to us, so we don't know 100%. Um, CPS doesn't know 100%, they know what they know. Um, and so with clo- yeah, with closed adoptions, that they currently have no contact with any, any of their biological uh, family. You uh, okay? I mean, then the open can contrast that to the open adoption. Uh, open adoption can mean many. Um, can basically mean the opposite. That they, um, in some cases, open adoption can be like family to family. Like a aunt or uncle can take the kids and they can be adopted, but they still have contact with mom and dad. Um, that's what also is called kinship placement. Um, or open adoption. Um, some friends of ours have an open adoption to where. Um, they have custody and they have adopted their children, but their children also have contact with their biological siblings that may be in another another adopted placement or may still be at home with mom and dad. Um, some of them also have um, contact with mom and dad in the respect of, you know, hey, we visit every once in a while. They may go and see them during the holidays or it, 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 it varies really based on situation and what, what the people want to do ultimately or what what led to the adoption Um, because in some cases parents um, may not have a reason for termination like there may not be a reason to terminate um, but the court doesn't want to give them back for safety reasons where the parents don't have a home or the parents right you know whatever the situation may be um, and so, in the interest of the stability for the child. Yes. Right. And so, and so, with that being said, they they don't terminate on them per se, but they give the parents the option, you know, and the families the option. Hey, if and, and parents will ask for that too. I'm willing to terminate my rights if I'm able to have, you know, some visitation with my children at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be signed into the court order, and then that that can be part of the the open adoption Uh, i would think it'd be tough one of the things i know you you always deal with is they're going to ask questions you know some will some won't i mean there's Mm -hmm. some that have no interest in some want to find out for medical reasons whatever the case may be they want to have some kind of contact with the birth mother birth father uh, Mm -hmm. or uh, whatever the case may be but uh what uh what encouragement do you have out there by the way the the kendrick brothers are uh, familiar with uh, the, mm-hmm. all the series of movies they've done over the years, from Flywheel to uh, Fireproof to to, to Courageous uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to War Room. Uh, there's a new one coming out, Life Mark, that uh, will be out next year. That is uh, uh, deals with just this issue, where a young lady goes in for an abortion, cannot follow through uh, with it, gets out of there, is, escapes there, because once you go into these uh, adoption, these abortion centers. Sometimes it's hard to get out, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, she back in the day anyway. That uh, they, uh, but uh, it's a, quite a quite a touching movie, and, and it deals with a lot of these adoption issues and uh, the encouragement uh, that that you would give to a, a birth mother and uh, and or potential adopt uh, adoptive parents. What would you? What would be your word of encouragement? I mean, life. I mean, life is is important. I mean, each each life ha- should have an opportunity to live the life you know they should have the opportunity to um i mean grow up they should have the opportunity to make choices at that point when you know if you know if we take that away or we don't give them that choice then you know who knows what happens i mean we don't know 
you know, I mean, looking at abortion, I mean, all of these, I think it's, what, 62 million when you look at the final numbers since 1972? Yes. Um, I mean, 62 million, I mean, lives were taken. So with that being said, I mean, how many, how many cures for cancer are we missing out on? How many, you know, new technologies are we missing out on? How many, how many world hunger, you know, I mean, what are, what are, what are we missing out on? Who, you know, who was supposed to, exactly, who was supposed (laughs) to, you know, lead the next revolution, you know, for Christ? Like who, we don't know who these people are to become, you know, and who they were supposed to be. You know, only God knows that, but they should all be given the opportunity to be whoever God said they were supposed to be. Well, well said, Julius. I, I get so uh, perturbed when you, you hear the uh, current leadership say they're going to codify uh, the right to abortion at the federal level. I think, you know, it, I believe it was codified uh, 246 years ago. I said we had the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So it's already been codified. And our Creator put those words in that uh, in that uh, Constitution to uh, lay that out very clearly. So uh, well said, and uh, uh, dads, I just encourage you to as you're uh, praying through. Uh, it may not be yourself as an adoptive parent or a foster care parent, but I would encourage you to pray through what your church might be able to do uh, to step up. And if it's you personally that's going to lead that charge, then uh, feel free to contact us here at Faithful Father. We'll put you in, in contact with Kingdom Care, and we'll uh, help figure it out. But uh, we, we do know that uh, life is precious. Uh, the Lord is in control uh, of everything, and uh, each life has a purpose. Yes, and uh, Julius, I praise God for you. Thank you for your heart. Thank you. Thank and you for having me. Dance, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we'll uh, stay, uh, stay tuned to this uh, podcast channel and uh, for uh, further insights from Faithful Fathering and, uh, and from uh, Julius. Uh, thank you for your time. God bless Godspeed. And as always, stay focused on uh, being a faithful father. That's the dad you're called to be, and that's the dad the next generation needs. Godspeed. <laughs>